hold on. Through it all. God, we need you to. Because we can't. We don't have it in us. We don't have the strength. The days are overwhelming. The times, the seasons. And Lord, just when we think we've, we've moved on a little bit, it's something else. God, we are tired. We're tired of it. And we're tired. God, it seems like the night is holding on to us. But the king of our hearts is holding on to us. And to all of it. And God, that's, that is our, that's our only hope. That's, that's the only thing we've got. It's the only thing some days that's keeping us sane and there might be those that debate about our sanity some days and I get that but Lord you are holding on we trust that, we believe that we know that but Lord may we never take that for granted You'll never leave us. You will never forsake us. But Lord, should we ever leave or forsake you, then we find ourselves in a desert, in a wilderness. Maybe even out to pasture on a shelf, the lamp stand taken from us. Or as we will see with Saul, our, our legacy, our influence, and our position as a church removed. And Lord, I don't know when it's easier to obey. Usually never. We like to think that in the hard times it's easier, but I'm afraid we're, we're looking for all the answers that we can come up with and not waiting on you and God may we wait on you please and obey God hold on to us is our prayer in Jesus name Amen sorry I wasn't expecting that but oh well uh, I, I think a lot of you uh, heard, uh, but uh, I just want to share it this morning. 
two, if you haven't, uh, Judy Dugas passed away Friday night. Um, what the, the what did it was she had a massive heart attack, but she had been in the hospital eight to ten days with COVID, and it was it was just too much for her to to take. So uh, be in prayer for her friends and family. I don't know of any arrangements yet, but we'll uh, get those out just as soon as we know something. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. This was the, uh, the tail end of our reading this week, I think. I believe we started at the first, somewhere around 1 Samuel, right? With Samuel and that, that call that he heard uh, in the night uh, when, when he heard a voice calling his name and he hopped up and he went to Eli and three times Eli told him, wasn't me boy, wasn't me boy. And the third time he says, hey, next time say, speak Lord for your servants listening. And Samuel did and, and we get a very condensed uh, uh, story of his life uh, through the, the book of the first few chapters of Samuel. Um, then the people cry out for a king. They want to be like all the other nations. And the Lord gives it to them. And he sends them Saul. And Samuel anoints Saul as king in chapter 9. And, and Samuel thinks they're rejecting me. And the Lord says, no, they're rejecting me, not you. Give them what they've asked for. In verse 10 and 11, we see kind of Saul's rise to his, his uh, throne. Uh, we see in uh, chapter 11, 12, the battles. And then chapter 13, things take a turn. But before we get into that... Uh, let me ask you a, a question. Have you ever done a factory reset on your phone or some other electronic device? Or more nerve-wracking for me, have you ever reinstalled Windows on your computer? That whole idea of completely wiping everything you've done clean and starting over, because that's what that reinstall of Windows especially does. It, the factory reset on your phone does that as well. Though I think there's some memory, your, all your apps are through a particular app, uh, you know, Google or, uh, who's that other one, Apple. Um, and it'll remember, but that, that computer, it's gone. Everything. And, and it, 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 you know you need to, you know that it's what you're supposed to do, and you, you, back when we would do it more often, you would put that disc in, and, and do you really want to, it would say, and you'd hover the mouse over the yes, and you'd hesitate. Click, and it's over. Yeah, ain't no going back now. You're, you're, you, are, you are done. Well, now, if, if you're lucky enough, maybe you're talking 
to somebody at Dell, and they're telling you, they're walking you through this, so they're going to help you put everything back the way it was. And then you're, it, it takes not all, but a lot of that hesitation away. They say, now insert the disk, and it's going to pop up. Are you sure you want to do this? Click yes. All right, click yes. Because the expert told me, right? I, I, was, I, I, I was talking to the one who, who knew what I was supposed to do, and when he said click yes, I clicked yes, and it's, it's on him to figure out how to get me beyond the next step, beyond the, the slate that is now clean, but beyond this computer now that has nothing on it that, that I used to do or that I had. I'm, I have a point, believe it or not. As, as we read through these, these scriptures for our D group, I'm, we're, my, my mindset and, and my plan, if this is what the Lord continues to lead me to do, is to preach in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura. That's, that's what I'm doing. And honestly, my, my plan is so long as we are still meeting in here, we are in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura. Uh, when, when we can go back to the sanctuary, that will be kind of the, the, the uh, mile marker for that period has passed. Now, the Lord may do something else with me as we work through Scripture, but that just seems to be where we're headed. So, as I read the, these passages at the beginning of the week, I've, I've told you kind of my process uh, for... Uh, waiting on God to tell me what to preach each Sunday. I, I read all of our D group readings on Monday so that I know where it's heading, and then I have a couple of days for the Lord to say, uh, to pull out what He wants me to, to preach. But I'm always looking at it with an eye of how does this relate to where we are? I mean, that's the most important thing really for scripture anyway. I mean, well, it's, I'll say it's like equal to what were the readers, the original hearers understanding, and how does it apply to us today? And, and application can go a number of different ways depending on your situation at the time. And, and that's, uh, if, yeah, when I've had to, or not had to, when I've had the privilege of going to another church to preach, or honestly, even starting new here or at my last church or any other place, the difficulty of, I mean, there's a lot of dependence on the Lord, what should I say, because I don't know where the church is as a whole. I don't know uh, what is, is, what's going on, right? So, so tailoring that application is more difficult. I have to really depend on God to say, this is what you need to say. So, I look every week at how does this passage uh, hit us where we are as a church, as a body of believers. Now, I'll admit to you that I knew probably, Amy, was it Tuesday, I think, or maybe even Monday, where she said, apparently there's a game that Amy plays that uh, I didn't know about, but now I do, so I'm going to have to intentionally make her not win uh, sometimes. She reads, she looks through the passages too and tries to figure out what I'm going to preach on that next Sunday. 
So she asked me Monday, hey, what are you going to preach on? And then she told me, I like to guess what you're going to do. So I know what I think. What are you going to do? And I said, I'm leaning toward the obedience is better than sacrifice passage. I knew it. So I looked a little bit like Tuesday. I'm like, something else? Like, no, she wins this one, this round. But I was, I was wondering, though, how, okay, I knew that Monday, right? It was last night before I finally could wrap my head around how I was going to preach that. And it was this morning, believe it or not, that God told me how it relates to us right now. And it's the reset. And, and this, if this sounds kind of like I'm rambling and Michael didn't plan this very well, you're right. Because, because this, was this, this was a this morning thing where I was just thinking about it and praying about it, and, and, and here it was. Y'all, and, and, and we've used this language already on Sunday mornings before. Tom preached a, a great message uh, the first or second Sunday we were in here. I don't remember. I may, maybe the first Sunday we were in here. Um, about we are in the mother of all resets now. Uh, between pandemic and two hurricanes, nothing's the same. We had a, a good conversation this week with a, a church member about that very fact, that, that nothing is the same. We brought to you a, a vision back in January of, of a, um, I would say, an altered a shifted focus of what we were going to do, and I would say 80 to 90 percent of those items, those ideas, involved small group, close proximity, face-to-face interaction, which got shut down on March 15th. So 80 to 90 percent of our vision that we had for this year got canned within two and a half months. And, and some of what we were going to do, or actually a lot of what we were going to do, a, a, a high percentage of that 80 to 90%, involved our local school. And then August 27th, we got a hurricane that messed things up. And, and, and so, so we're, we're scrambling because now we're going through another reset, a bigger reset. It's not that we don't believe that's the vision the Lord gave us. You know, I preached on Gideon last week. I believe it's the, the vision that he gave us. And now he's saying, but I want you to meet the vision with the tools I give you, not the tools you think you need. So that led me this week to this idea, or this morning actually, to this idea of a, a reset and as I said, if, if that Dell tech guy or gal is on the phone with us and tells us to click yes, then we are much more comfortable clicking yes. But what kind of morons would we be if the tech guy says click yes and we go, no, I can't do that. That's going to that's gonna mess up my whole computer. You realize that's going to wipe everything out, right? And the tech guy, 
exactly, that is the point, that's the purpose, and I'll walk you through the next steps. But you've got to obey the commands. You've got to be obedient, and that's where we are going to have to be, and we have been, and we're going to have to continue to be as a church. The question is going to be, church, our obedience as we move forward. Will we obey? Will we trust that when we recruit 32,000 soldiers and God trims us down to 300 with a trumpet and a lantern, we will trust that's the army we need and not 32,000 heavily armed, but 300 not armed at all? We're going to have to obey. And we will be tempted at many places along the way to replace obedience with something else that we think looks good. That we think fits the bill but doesn't make us do the thing that God really told us to do. That's what we see with Saul this morning. We, we see him learning the hard way, and I imagine most of us have learned this along the way as well, that partial obedience is disobedience. Uh, another way you've probably heard this is a half-truth is a whole lie. Well, partial obedience is disobedience. Our, our, the focal passage this morning is Psalm 15 22, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel, starts with an S, sound. Um, 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, is that the next slide? Is the scripture the next slide, Jaden? Okay. Uh, let's read that and, and kind of get that as the backdrop, and then we're going to work through the chapter uh, quickly, I hope. Then Samuel said, or at uh, 1 Samuel 15, 22, then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, let's just call it disobedience. Rebellion is like the sin of divination, which was a capital offense, by the way. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry which was a capital offense, by the way. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. That is our focus this morning. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and disobedience is really, really bad. Well, where does it start? It really starts in chapter 13, but we're going to pick up at the beginning of chapter 15. Samuel comes to Saul, and he gives him the command at some point in our lives, and, and probably weekly as a church, we are given a command as, what we, as to what we are supposed to do. Saul is given a command directly from the Lord through Samuel. And Samuel says, now go and attack the Amalekites. Okay, there's the first part of the command, attack them. Second part of the command, completely destroy everything they have. This was a holy thing. It's, it's, the Hebrew word is cherem. It is setting aside everything for God. 
but not taking it into, they didn't have a, a temple at this time, but not taking it into the tabernacle for God, not setting up uh, an altar to sacrifice for God. It is right there where it stands, where it lays. Destroy it. It's his. Don't take it. Don't do anything with it. That's the command. Go and attack them. Completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen and sheep, camels and donkeys. Everything of the Amalekites was to be destroyed. Now this, this is, we need to begin with the fact, this is God's judgment on the Amalekites. This is for years and years and years of their own disobedience, their own fighting against God, all the way back to when they weren't friendly to Israel when they came out of Egypt. This has been building for a long time. And their judgment has finally come. Their opportunities to turn have passed, and now the end is here for them. This is God's righteousness. This is God's judgment. The command then to Saul is to completely wipe them out. The, all the people, all the animals, everything is to be given to God. Don't keep anything for yourself. No spoils but also no glory. Remember we talked about Gideon and how for the Lord and for Gideon was the battle cry. No, it was for the Lord. Gideon took the glory. And then we didn't read any further in the story on into chapter 8 of Judges, but in chapter 8 he sets up an idol, an ephod, that, that everybody comes and worships, that, that recognizes his victorious, uh, his, his, his wonderful victory when it was God. And, and God is clear through Samuel to Saul, it, none of it's yours. Don't take any of it. No spoils, no glory. It's all of God's. And Saul says, great, fine, perfect, I'll do it, no problem. In chapter, uh, in verse uh, 8, though, we see Saul's disobedience. It wasn't perfect, great, and fine. He didn't do what he was supposed to. Verse 8 says he captured King Agag of uh, Amalek alive, but he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with a sword. Verse 9, Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them. But they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. And then if you jump down to verse 12, Samuel is now looking for Saul. He shows up at, uh, uh, I believe he's in Gilgal. No, he's in Carmel, uh, to looking for Saul. And, and they tell him, Saul went to Carmel where he set up a monument for himself. For the great work that he had done, the great battle that he had, uh, had won. Saul took it all for himself. Now, it's not true, right? Not quite. He, he left some of it. He captured the king. He, he kept the best of everything. He, he set up a monument for himself, but he did destroy the worthless things. He did kill all the people, I mean, except the one, but he killed all of them, right? I mean, we, we see that just in the passage. So we see the command, it's all God's. We see the disobedience, okay, most of it's God's. 
And then we see the excuses because Samuel shows up and Samuel is mad. And Samuel's not a calm mad. Samuel would be one of the craziest guys to meet. I, I, I can't wait. He, I'm sure he won't be this way in heaven, but the man was something else. That There was probably nobody exactly like Samuel until maybe Elijah. And, and then, really, it skips Elijah and goes to Jesus. Samuel fulfilled so many roles as prophet, as a priest, and even for a while he kind of filled that king role. I'm talking humanly, I'm talking temporally, I'm not talking spiritually in the same way Jesus does, but, but Samuel was something special. And he had a pretty, we, we, we miss it in English, but his, the way he approaches Saul, the things he says, he's a He's my kind of guy. He was eloquent, to say the least. So he shows up with Saul, and we get the excuses now. We've all got them, right? Noses, I mean excuses. We've all got our excuses. They all stink. I think it's supposed to be opinions, right? Our excuses stink. Smell. Our nose, right? Let me get my phrase right. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got them, and they all smell. Y'all heard that phrase, right? Some of y'all are going, I've heard it different. Well, I know what you're thinking, so stop. Well, excuses are the same way. We've all got them, and they're all worthless. But, but Saul has them. He, 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 he knows what has happened, but he knows how he's going to take care of it. Verse 15, Samuel shows up. Actually, go back a little bit further. Verse 13, when Samuel came to him, Saul said, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Well, first of all, when you walk into your child's bedroom, because you've heard all the stuff that's going on in the bedroom, and you know something's happening that shouldn't be happening, and you walk into that bedroom, and that child says, I'm not doing anything, before you even say anything, you know that child's doing something. I'm giving away some secrets to some kids. They're probably, they, won't, they won't remember. And that's exactly what Saul did. Hey, Samuel, I did everything God wanted me to. Right? I mean, I did. I totally did. I did, I did it all exactly. I followed the Lord's instructions, he says. And Samuel says, then why do I hear animals? That's, you, you, you carried out the Lord's instruction. Lord instruction, let me, let me remember this. Kill everything, all the people, kill, and the, uh, all the animals, donkeys, cattle, and then the sheep. But yet I hear all these animals. I'm confused, Saul. At, 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 at what level do you think you actually obeyed and carried out the Lord's instructions? Well... The first response from Saul is deflection in verse 15. Saul answered, the troops brought them. We should hear some echoes of the garden. Adam, why did you eat the fruit? The woman you gave me. Eve, why did you eat the fruit? The serpent told me. Deflection. It's not my fault. I didn't do I. I followed your instructions, Lord. I did what you said. 
But the men, the, the army, he says, the troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order, in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we destroyed to offer a sacrifice. Now, if you believe that the sole intent behind keeping the absolute best of everything the Amalekites had uh, to offer was to use that to sacrifice to Lord, the Lord in a special ceremony, I've got a bridge off in the Middle East to sell you. Uh, it, you know, it, some beachfront property there along uh, Jerusalem. Yeah. No, y'all. It just, no. The, the, no. But we're going to deflect, right? We're going to say... That was them, God. I, it wasn't me. It was, it was the people you gave me. It was the, the army. It was, it was something. It was some reason that I could not do this. Let me deflect it to someone else. second excuse he uses is just straight-up argumentation. Samuel ain't having it. Verse 16, stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul said. I don't know how he said it. Inflection doesn't come across in written. I, I think at this point with Saul, though, it's more of a, okay, tell me. What'd he tell you, Samuel? Flippant. That, that's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. But I, we don't see repentance yet. Or ever. Verse 17, Samuel continued, Although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord, Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you've annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? I think in there we have a hint that the intention was never really to sacrifice it, but was a good excuse to try to cover his choices. Verse 20, Saul straight up argues, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Am Amalekites. The troops but we're going to go back to that deflection just, just real quick. The troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for the destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. It's not uncommon for folks to use the phrase, the Lord your God. But it hints, it, it rings of... A lack of commitment on the person's part that's saying it. He's not saying the Lord my God. It's the Lord your God. This is what your God wanted. I did what your God wanted. It, it, it doesn't fall nicely on our ears. And it should get us to wondering about where Saul's heart was in all of this. And as we read back through the chapters, well, we kind of get an idea that Saul's heart maybe wasn't ever where it should have been. But I, I did it, right? I, I did everything you said, except what I was going to sacrifice. And then Saul, or rather Samuel says, but 
Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And after he gets done, uh, Samuel gets done, Saul gives his third excuse, and he tries this twice. In verse 24, he says, I have sinned. Crocodile tears, probably. I've, oh, I'm so sorry. I have sinned, Samuel. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words because I was afraid of the people. No. No. I obeyed them. Because I was afraid of them, I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin. Oh, and return with me so I can worship the Lord. Come on back and give me the, the honor that, that you bestow by being the Lord's servant, a representative of the Lord, and, and worship with me in front of the people so that they will continue to follow me. It was a very self-serving confession. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I did. I, I have sinned. I have transgressed. But I only did it. We're still deflecting. I only did it because I was scared of the people. In verse 30, because he, Samuel says in verse 26, nope, he turns to leave. Samuel, or Saul grabs Samuel by his cloak. The cloak tears. A piece comes off. And Samuel turns around and says, in the same way that came off, that little piece was torn off. You tore that off. The kingdom will be torn from your hands. You will no longer be king. You will lose the kingship. And now Saul's really worried, so he, he cleans up his confession just a little bit. I have sinned. No more blaming people. No more blaming others. Please honor me now before the elders, because he knows he's lost the kingdom. I need to be honored by you. Samuel went back, and he does. He, he worships the Lord. We get Saul's self-serving confessions. We, we hear him come up with all the excuses and still try to pave the way to still being king. Well, it was not time for Saul not to be king because it wasn't time for David to be king. That's the next chapter where David gets anointed the next king. So though it has, it's not time yet, so Saul has to fulfill the, the role for a while yet, but he will never truly be king again. But Samuel goes and he does what Saul asks. What's the result of all of this? All of this disobedience, all of this partial obedience that's really just disobedience. Well, in chapter 13, we didn't talk about it, but there Saul disobeys. And he loses his legacy. He's already been told in chapter 13, none of your children, there will be no Saul line of kings. It ends with you. You're king, you will be king, but none of your kids will be. It'll be taken from you. No dynasty, no legacy. In chapter 14, he makes stupid oaths. He does not consult Samuel on these, uh, on what's going on. He trusts himself and not the Lord. He makes stupid oaths that puts him in a position of having to kill his own son for breaking the oath. And the people stand up and say, oh, no, you ain't. You're not killing Jonathan. And Saul backs down and goes on. So in chapter 14, Saul loses his influence 
And that's why in chapter 15, come back with me and, and, and worship and, and present me to the people so they'll follow me again. They don't, they don't think I'm that great a king anymore. I need your stamp of approval. And then in verse 15, the final blow from disobedience, Saul loses his position. He loses his kingship. All of this because he was disobedient. That's the result of partial obedience, which is really just disobedience. And then the chapter ends with a warning. Even to the day of his death, Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, we could have quite a conversation over what regret means here and, and, and what that passage tells us about God and, and what he knows is going to come. I'll just say God knew what Saul was going to do, and yet he chose Saul anyway. It was both known by God and Saul's choice because Samuel tells him, if you had just obeyed, it wouldn't have been a problem. But he didn't. So Samuel mourned and the Lord regretted. Yet Saul remains a king for a long time. We've got some, what, 15 chapters-ish? Yeah, of, of Saul continuing to be king. But he was never what he should have been. He was a king in decline. He was never God's king again. Now, let's go back to verses 22 and 23. The lesson from this passage. Obedience is worship. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices? The correct answer is, is yes, He does. That's how God had set it up. Deuteronomy, Genesis even, Leviticus, the, the sacrificial system, the way the people would worship was set up. And it did uh, use burnt offerings and sacrifices. Not only was that a way to worship, that was the way to worship. So the answer is yes, the Lord takes pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices if we stop there. But Samuel didn't stop there. Samuel said, as much as... In obeying the Lord. Do you really think that it's worship if you're disobedient in somewhere else in your life? The correct answer is no, it's not. I cannot bring acceptable worship to the Lord if I am disobedient somewhere else in my life. That was the point. Don't bring me an offering, Samuel says. The Lord says to Saul, if that offering is a result of you choosing not to obey me somewhere else. But not only is obedience worship, but disobedience is false worship. Verse 23, for rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. I told you as we were reading, those were capital offenses. You could die for divination and idolatry, put to death by the Lord's decree. And he says disobedience is just like those things. Disobedience, it's false worship. And if we think that through, we can totally see it. Because if God says do X... And I say, hmm, I don't think X is a good idea. I'm instead going to do Y, which is right next to X. 
but it's not X, but it's next to X, so it should be okay. Who's God in my life? God or me? Me. Right. Good answer. I am worshiping myself because I am wor- anything I put before God is, is, is worship. And anything I worship other than God is idolatry. So disobedience is false worship. It is idolatry. It is saying something else in my life is God other than God. And whether it's a decision on my part, whether it's a circumstance that I look at and, says, and, and say, this can't be the, the response to this circumstance, God saying do this when I see this over here. No, the circumstance is not my God either. God is my God. So I'm worshiping the circumstance. I'm putting the circumstance before God. And as I said at the beginning in the title of the message, partial obedience is full disobedience. If we don't do what he says the way he says to do it, then we're not doing what he said to do. If, if I don't know, if, if you tell your child, all right, get on the bus and go to school, and the child gets on the bus and walks from the school to McDonald's and spends all day there, was your child, do you consider your child, well, at least you were partially obedient, so it's okay. No, there's going to be some talking to because I don't care that you got on the bus, but, but I got on the bus. You said get on the bus and go to school. I did, and then I went to McDonald's. So I was obedient, right? No, you weren't. <laughs> you were not. Yet we want to do the same thing with God. God says, go and tell your, your, people, your neighbors about Jesus. And we say, well, I invited them to church. Is that what I told you to do? Yes, we want to invite people to church, but... We want to tell them about Jesus. We want to make disciples. Is inviting them to the church part of it? Certainly. But is that making a disciple? No. Telling people, Merry Christmas is not discipleship. It's not evangelism. In the drive-thru, telling the, the person that's helping you, God bless you, God loves you. That's great. Do it. Not saying don't, but that's not evangelism. So if the Lord says to you, When you're in the grocery aisle, ask this person you're talking to, ask the the, the cashier where they go to church, and you say, you're doing a great job. That wasn't obedience. If you say, you know, it blesses me every day that I come in here, and you're smiling, and you're helpful, and I just think that's the Lord working through you, but God said, ask them where they go to church. You're not being, you see the point I'm making? We, we want to fill the, the uncomfortable commands with easier responses, and that is disobedience. Now, church, wow, very quickly. What is our command? Our command as a church, and there are a lot of them, but these probably cover most of the New Testament, even Old Testament commands. Love God. Love your neighbor. As much as it, up, as it is up to you, live at peace with each other. Put others first in all things. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. Make disciples. That, those are our commands. We can wrap it up in the two greatest. Love God. Love others. We can use a few others, uh, a few of those others to, to 
uh, influence to flesh out those two. And of course, we can read the entire New Testament and the whole Bible to understand exactly how we would do that in a day-to-day situation into a situation uh, uh, experience. But that is our command. That is who we are to be as a church. So if we are loving God, but we're argumentative, pugilistic, wanting a fight at every opportunity, hate those people that don't think like we do, can't believe that those others went that direction, they must be trash, we must be good. Is that living at peace? It's not. So we're not fulfilling the command. We're doing the part we like. Oh, I love my neighbor. Like the person that lives right next to me? Sure. The ones that already go to church with me or go to church somewhere? Yeah, it's the ones down the street. I can tell they don't go to church anywhere. I don't like them. They're loud music. You're not fulfilling the command. Now, nothing can replace the commands, right, Saul? But we brought back to sacrifice the best. We were going we were to give you the best, Lord. Yeah, right. But whatever. We were gonna, let's take him at his word for just a second. We were going to give you the best, Lord. We, we destroyed everything else, but we wanted to do this. Nothing can replace the command. Nothing can replace loving God, loving your neighbor, living at peace, putting others first, etc., etc. Nothing, not attendance, not, not church attendance, not tithing and giving, not being involved in programs, not leading various activities, not the way we do the church, the way we redesign it, the way we build it, not the way we furnish it, not the service that we have, not the music that we sing. None of those choices can ever replace doing the work of being the church in the community. We can't. We try. Well, I know you said for me to go on a mission trip, God, but instead I'm going to give $1,000 to this group that's going. That's the same, right? No. God, I know you said that I need to be more involved in the church. I need to actually serve, so I'm going to start going every Sunday. Is attendance what he asked? No. He said, step up and lead. He said, step up and serve. And on and on and on. Nothing replaces the command. And God won't accept the excuse. We can come at him and we can deflect and say, well, the rest of the church wasn't doing it either. Or we can just argue, but God, I don't like to do that. And besides, the rest of the church wasn't doing it either. And we can try to give some sort of self-serving confession. You're right, Lord. I know you said be a, uh, a connect group teacher. You're right. So I'm going to start going to connect groups more often. I will. I promise. And, and, and we, we're, we're, we're obedient, right? I was sorry. And, and, and I did something that made me feel okay. God's going to ask some people someday. Jesus is, rather. Did you give the cup of cold water? Did you visit in prison? Actually, he's going to tell them you didn't do these things. Get out of my sight. But wait, we, 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 I thought we, we did. We, uh, 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 let me back up. God's going to say, get out of my sight. And they're going to say, but didn't we do these things in your name? Didn't we do these good things? And God's, Jesus is going to say, yeah, but I never knew you. You did things, but you weren't obedient. 
I said, come to me. I said, take up your cross. I said, die to yourself. And you said, but I gave away water. But I visited people in prison. And I even said it, I did it in Jesus' name. And he's, I never knew you. But didn't we, and God won't accept the excuse. See, church, our disobedience is our end. Disobedience in any church is that church's end. The church will lose its legacy, the churches it would have started, the ministry it would have done, the people it would have reached. It will lose its influence. No longer will the community come to the church to hear truth, to find hope and comfort. If the neighbor knows I don't like them because they don't match me in whatever way I don't think they match me, and they go through something where they really need a church, a Christian, to stand up and say, I know the hurt, I know the pain, and I know what can get you through. But they know I hate them. Are they going to come to our church to hear that? The correct answer is no. Not even if you suddenly, oh, I see you're going through a trial. Well, you know they can help you at my church. If you are what your church produces, no thanks. Because we haven't loved them. We haven't obeyed the command before then, and we've lost our influence. And then we lose, as Saul did, our position. Once we've lost our influence, then you have a society that no longer thinks churches are necessary. There was a day when the church was the center of the community. And we as the church like to sit back and say, well, isn't culture horrible that they don't like the church anymore? And maybe the church should say, isn't the church horrible for not being the something that was loving to the culture? Maybe that needs to be our response, rather than blaming the culture from turning away from us, but instead becoming something that the culture never believed they needed anymore. And we will have a different response. But if we don't, we'll lose our position. And then we know from Scripture that God will not tolerate disobedience forever. Saul was king for a long time. We as a church, any church, and y'all, this is not a First Baptist sulfur thing. This is a, an American church thing. God will not tolerate disobedience forever. We may be a building, a body, or a budget for a long time. But we will never be an influence in our society if the Lord removes our legacy, influence, and position because of our disobedience. We can point to churches around the country right now, not just Baptist, but pick a denomination that has no legacy, influence, or position anymore because the Lord's not there. They exist. They're a building a body and or a budget, but they are not influencing the culture for Christ. I mean, we may look around now and see where we are and think we're living in God's judgment of our church. I hope that has crossed your mind. Is this God doing away with First Baptist Sulphur? Well, we may be. I'm not Samuel, and I haven't seen Samuel around here telling me that that was the case. If you've seen him, let me know. 
because we need to listen if he's here, but I haven't seen him. So I, don't, I am not making that pronouncement. What I am saying is we need to look to God and see what he is doing. And when we hear him, when he speaks, man, I sound like a broken record. We need to be obedient. Because I think I said that a few Sundays ago and probably a few Sundays before that. And let us, let us, let's see, right? Let's be obedient and see what God does. Some will tell us it's too late. Now, uh, gosh, I can't even remember now when I, it was I, I preached this, that, that the voices from outside are going to tell us, and it will be voices within, too. Gosh, was that Philippians? I don't even remember now. The voices within will, will tell us that it, it's over and done, and, and there will be those within and those without, and, 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 and it's not up to them. It is even really not up to us. It's up to God as to when we are done. So let's be obedient and see what God will do. Let's do what he says, and then let him do some great things. See, our obedience is worship. We are the sacrifice. We are on the altar, Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. We are the ones that are to be doing the work. It is your reasonable act of what? What's the word? We... Uh, present yourselves a, a living sacrifice, holy and uh, pleasing to the Lord, for it is your reasonable act of, or it's your reasonable act of, that's right, some of your translation is going to say service, some of your translation is going to say worship, because it's, it's debatable what that word means. Now, service would certainly have in mind lean harder to obedience, right? So, obedience, worship, service, worship, it's the same thing. So if we want to worship the Lord at First Baptist Sulphur, then we have to be obedient to Him. We are never closer to the Lord than when we are walking in obedience. We are never worshiping more than when we are walking in obedience. Songs are designed, they're written to focus us, to... to, to for, to, to draw emotion from us. That's, that's the way music, that's what music does. That's one of its purposes. So worship music is designed to do that, but we can weep until we run out of tears, but if we're not obeying, it wasn't worship. It was emotion. That's it, church. That's all I got. I got a text earlier today from someone who I think may have looked at faith life and seen the, the, the sermon outline and uh, kind of saw what was coming. And I'll read the text to you. Wow, tough sermon coming today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my response to it, now he went on and said, I'll be praying for you and for us to have ears to hear what the Lord is saying. And my response was, it seems that all, that's all I get to preach. The tough sermons. As I told you last week, the tough sermons, they're, they're tough for me to preach. They're even tough for me, for me to hear. Y'all, we've got to have We've got to have the tough sermons. 
we've got to look at Scripture and see us, see ourselves. Warts and all, especially the warts, especially the things we need to fix. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the day, and occasionally the Lord lets me. He, he, we get to a place, and it's just, it, it's just, yeah, whoo, sermon, and I wish, I wish it happened more. I wish, I wish I could preach fluffier sermons. That's what I wish. I wish I could preach lighter, airier, fluffier sermons. Y'all, the Christian life isn't light, fluffy, or airy. How, how, how light, fluffy, and airy does take up your cross and follow me sound? Die to yourself. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Yet it's all worth it. Obedience is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it. But it's when it comes to trusting Jesus for salvation, y'all, partial obedience is also disobedience. A lot of times we want a little bit of Jesus, a little religion. It's not what he asks for. The gospel isn't take a little bit of Jesus and you'll be okay. The gospel is that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us have. The gospel is hard. The gospel is the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's not fluffy. That's not light. But the gospel is also that God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The gospel is, if you believe in your heart, that uh, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing light and fluffy or easy about that. The gospel isn't easy. The Christian life isn't easy. But friends and family, it is worth it every step of the way. Obedience is worth it every step of the way. Will you trust Him today? Church, will you obey Him today? He wants your obedience. He wants your worship. But you can't worship unless you obey. Will you trust Him? Will you obey Him? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your correction in my life. Thank you that Samuel hasn't shown up to tell me you're done with me. Samuel hasn't shown up or any other prophet to tell us as a church you're done with this church. But God, may we never test you. May we never... Assume we've got more time, that we can just push it aside, that, oh, we'll kick that can down the road, I'll obey later, or that I will obey in this way, or to this point, but not any further. God, may we be a church that obeys, and we are a, then are a church that never loses 
its legacy, its influence, or its position in our community. The only position that matters, by the way, of being a lighthouse to sinners, a hospital for the sick, and a comforting place for the hurting. May that be the church we are because of our obedience in worship or our obedience that turns to worship or our worshipful obedience. God, if there's someone that's listening and they've never trusted you as Savior and they think they've got a little religion, they've got a little church, they've got a little membership, and that's what they are trusting, Lord, I pray that they would see this morning that their partial obedience is just full disobedience. And full disobedience, when it comes to salvation through Jesus, is a guaranteed condemnation to hell. That they will trust fully. They will obey fully. And they'll accept Jesus Christ as their Savior today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you've come to some sort of decision, point of time in your life where you need to follow Christ, grab Tom, me, Amy. If you're watching online right now or later on this week, send us an email, uh, comment there on Facebook, send us a message. We would love to talk to you about that. But let's sing for a few minutes. Contemplate how we need to obey where we need to obey, and get our hearts to the point that our worship is a result of our obedience, not an attempt to work around our disobedience. Let's stand, if you want to, if you feel led, and let's worship and let God work in our hearts. Jesus. 
Until the very 